Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game. It is the John Chuckra Show coming to you live on this Tuesday evening as we're, I guess, not officially a quarter of the way through the NFL season. But, you know, listen, we're going to call it a quarter of the way anyway. And lots of news and notes to talk about, about around the league. Let's head out to the waitfor.com hotline. Let's talk to our buddy Eric Edholm. He, of course, covers the NFL and NFL draft. Check out his work at NFL.com. And, of course, always give him a follow on his Twitter page, at Eric underscore Edholm. And, Eric, as always, man, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for a few minutes here in Atlanta this evening. Yeah, that's my biggest complaint with the uh, 17-game schedule. It's not divisible by four or two, right? So <laughs> yeah, it forces I, us to review. <laughs> I know. Like I, you know, I hate to have to do tricky math, and it's like, you know, I'll just I'll leave that to other experts. Hey, Eric, before Fraction, we get into the actual does. NFL talk, I, I want to ask you a question because you obviously cover the NFL draft. But, you know, you look at, you know, Stroud has been outstanding this year. Hendon Hooker's had a really big year. You know, I joked when I saw him at SEC Media Days, I said Will Levis looked like Bo Callahan from that movie Draft Day. <laughs> you know, give me a quick thought about the quarterbacks that you've seen in college this year. It looks like that there are a lot of very intriguing guys that are really kind of making a name, at least for themselves, on the college st- uh, stage this year, maybe heading into the NFL draft. Yeah, I think it's it's fair to say that there's a lot of intrigue and there's a, there's maybe a deeper class than what we had a year ago. Of course, so far we've really only seen, you know, a little bit of Kenny Pickett and a little bit of Bailey Zappi. And, uh, you know, that's been about it for the rookie class. I suspect we'll have a different kind of look and feel uh, for, for what next year's class ends up. And, and you're right, Bryce Young and, and uh, CJ Stroud were the ones coming into the year who, you know, earned the big accolades and the, and the big, you know, sort of pre-draft hype, if you will, and Will Levis, I think, was put in that category just below those guys, but he's played well so far. I know Saturday didn't go according to plan, the safety, the fumble at the end, you know, some mistakes that need to be cleaned up. You know, no prospect comes into the NFL without, you know, some, some poor game tape. And prior to that, I think he played pretty well. He's got really nice physical traits that I think can be molded. So, you know, then you go to Hooker and you say to yourself, will NFL teams downgrade what will be a 25-year-old rookie quarterback? You know, is that going to be a major factor? Is that something that concerns teams, right? I mean, the good news is that, you know, he's made a jump from, you know, about one year ago to now. It's been pretty big, pretty noticeable. And I thought had he come out a year ago, he would have been at the Senior Bowl. He would have been eligible. So, uh, you know, it was an interesting decision coming back. But, you know, we're lucky to have another year of him in college football. He's a fast riser. You know, Sam Hartman's back playing again. I think there are a lot of people who maybe see him as a high-end backup, perhaps a low-end starter. You know, Will Rogers at Mississippi State, sort of the same vein. Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina is a really interesting guy who's highly accurate and can run a little bit. So you have lots of different types of quarterbacks, too. So it's hard to really get any big-picture judgments on any of them right now. I mean, obviously we've seen more of some than others, but – I suspect that when we when we get to April, it'll be a lot more appealing class than what we had a year ago, where we were, you know, forced to kind of look at some some warts and pick through the the flotsam and jetsam just a little bit. Eric, let's uh, let's look locally here. Let's talk a little bit about the Atlanta Falcons. Um, obviously, back to back victories. They're at five hundred, uh, a shot to take over the division lead for whatever that's worth, and in, in Week Five in Tampa Bay. 
Have they surprised you? Have they been maybe better than what you thought? Um, you know, obviously here in Atlanta, we're pretty excited about, if nothing else, at least the direction that the franchise is headed. Sure. And could be three and one, right? I mean, like, you yeah. know, week one, obviously, you know, they, they sort of controlled things for a while there. But, yeah, I mean, Arthur Smith's offense has really kind of, you know, taken shape. And, and we'll see, obviously, with Patterson hurt and, you know, I mean, you hope Kyle Pitts has a bigger role going forward. We saw a little bit more of him uh, last week than, than Sunday. So, uh, you know, I think just the offensive design has been really impressive with a quarterback and in that, that, you know, he once benched and that there was plenty of suspicion about and that supposedly was, you know, being pushed by Desmond Ritter. So I appreciate what Mariota's done to this point. Um, you know, and it's, and it's involved, you know, Drake London as a rookie coming in and, you know, some other pieces that maybe some people had given up on. So, you know, that's the most encouraging part defensively. You know, you can you can say that there's there's plenty of work to be done, and I think that's accurate. But, you know, they're making enough timely plays, I would say, to kind of shed the reputation of being, you know, one of the league's worst defenses or something like that. So, yeah, it's been encouraging as heck to watch. You know, I, I watched that, that entire Seattle game and felt like they battled hard and really, you know, came on strong in the second half on the road in a tough place to play. NFL and NFL draft writer Eric Edholm joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Let's bounce around the league a little bit. I want to get your thoughts. You know, obviously the Tua situation is really kind of front and center, and we saw that the appointed physician or whatever got fired. And Okay. Um, but they're – look, obviously paying out a billion dollars from the league didn't phase them enough to – get that heavily concerned about where we really are with player safety. How much do you think is going to change? Like, do we really believe that at some point there's going to be a real legitimate overhaul to the idea of safety for players and things like that? Because I don't know. I mean, you'd have thought a billion dollars would have shook them a little bit, but then you watch Tua just get snapped around on the field as if it didn't really matter. I don't know, Eric. I mean, I, it, it still seems like there's a lot of lip service that's involved with this versus actual action. Yeah, I will say this. I do feel like I, I talked to a few people, a couple of agents who obviously represent players and have their best interests in mind. And, uh, you know, a couple of people around the league in, in different positions and just sort of asked them, what are your thoughts on this to a thing? Like what, what stands out to you? What matters the most? What's What's got to be addressed? And, you know, there there was a sense that maybe – I say the league, and I mean both the league office, the teams themselves, perhaps even the, you know, the neurologists who are out there on the on the sidelines, the independent uh, doctors who are whose job is to, you know, ask the questions to, to determine whether the player has been, you know, mentally compromised in any way, and, and whether they can go back out there and play. You know, there's almost been like a complacence in terms of you know, some of the players knew what, how to answer the questions, right? Now it's mm-hmm. the locker room talk and Hey, if they ask you this, say this, right. This is the right response and they'll let you play again. And we've kind of gotten away from all that talk, you know, especially when it, when it peaked, you know, years ago, uh, not that long ago, but still and long enough to, I think, just be over the horizon, so to speak, where, you know, there really hasn't been that one big hit, that one big injury or situation until this that have rattled people, you know, that, that really kind of, and I said at the time, I said, look, if if two ends up clearing the protocol and there's no long-term damage, and on top of that, this incident leads to 
the proper, you know, implementation of the, the, the rules and the protocols that were set out, a, a, you know, a big reminder to everybody around the league to take this extremely seriously, players included, coaches included, whoever else, administrators, league people, then it, it could end up being a really good thing. And I know it sounds obviously weird, but that's my hope. My hope is that, you know, with a quarterback, high-profile team, young head coach, kind of the perfect storm here to, to give people – a reminder of just how serious this stuff is. We'll see. I mean, I, like you said, there's, there's a lot of moving parts in this thing that you know, every chain along the, you know, every link along the chain, I should say, needs to be examined and, and reexamined here. Eric, you look at the Eagles. They are a plus 44 point differential. They've been outstanding as far as they're just rolling it up on teams. Are they clearly the best team in the NFC right now? I think right now you'd say, you know, like offensive, defensive improvement, offensive, you know, development, if you will, with Hertz playing the way he has. I know he didn't have a spectacular game Sunday, but, you know, uh, fairly mistake-free overall, you know, used his legs effectively, got his receivers involved, you know. But it was certainly about the defense, too, creating five turnovers against the young quarterback in, in, in Trevor Lawrence, who's made strides. and. You know, the things they'd done before, before that, the first three weeks, I think were, you know, very impressive. I wouldn't say they've gone out and just destroyed people. I would say that they've, they've gone out and played very, very good football, reflective of the kind of improvements we thought they made in the offseason with, you know, the draft, agency trades, obviously Brown being the biggest name. Um, you know, just, just everything along the way I thought really made a lot of sense. You're going to hear some sentiment of, you know, Howie Roseman, executive of the year because of that, those moves. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's helped out a young head coach and a young defensive coordinator in Jonathan Gannon, who was feeling heat locally, even though he's getting head coaching interviews. I think there was a lot of pressure coming into the year to take that proverbial next step. Because if they didn't, you know, th- then there would be some, some heads to roll. But so far, it's really worked well. And, you know, obviously Dallas has been beset by injuries and you've seen what the Rams have gone through. 49ers have already had to make a quarterback change because of injuries. You know, whoever you anointed as the, the preseason NFC heavyweights have all kind of had one or two setbacks. So what happens when the Eagles have a setback? Because they will at some point. You can't have good luck forever. That's going to be the real true test as to whether they're, you know, built to last or whether they're a team that starts hot and, and maybe fades a little down the stretch. Eric, we saw the news today, as crazy as this is, we talk about the Falcons getting ready to play the Buccaneers, that supposedly rumor and innuendo, as we like to say in the wrestling podcast world, is that Tom Brady and Giselle excuse me, have contacted divorce attorneys and, and things like that. The question I have is, and, and I didn't believe this a handful of weeks ago, but now I'm starting to wonder. You think Tom Brady plays out this whole year? You think when push comes to shove, we're talking in a few months from now that Tom Brady is still playing in the NFL? Meaning beyond this season or uh, for the remainder? Of even for the, I'm talking about even just for the remainder of this year. You think he actually finishes out the season given how sideways this story seems to just keep going? That's a tough one for me to answer. Not having, you know, obviously – uh, you know, uh, personal connections with Brady or, or his family members. You know, it's a little bit tough for me to sort of speculate. But and, and just knowing Brady and, and how, gosh, I mean, such a control freak, right? <laughs> he has to have everything kind of going his way. Maybe that works one way or the other. Maybe on the one hand, Pride just says, 
you know, I, I signed up for the whole year. I can't, you know, not finish the job. He's going to see it through to the end. The other side of the coin might be that, you know, he's, he's got a family to think about. And he's got this situation brewing that we don't know the, the first thing about, other than, like you said, rumor and innuendo. You know, there, there may be a, you know, sort of a, a higher duty calling at this point. I don't know. I, I would think he probably plays out the whole season. And if, if we see improvement out of this team in the next few weeks, who knows? They could certainly be back in that, that Super Bowl contender mode. They've got, you know, the greatest Super Bowl winner of all time throwing passes. We, you know, we still haven't seen the best of, you know, that receiver group. You know, the defense had a one-game blip last week, maybe. We'll see, right? But, yeah, it would be, it would be a stretch for me to assume that Brady is not going to finish this year. But, again, we don't know what he's going through. We don't know how, how tough this has been on him mentally. And we don't know what else is happening drama-wise with the team. So, I, you know, I wouldn't put it higher than maybe like a 10 or 15% chance, but I suppose you can't really rule it out. Last thing for you, Eric. Um, as we kind of look broadly, you know, it doesn't feel like it's been as good a start for quarterbacks that have changed teams. I mean, whether it's Matt Ryan, whether it's Russell Wilson, whether it's Baker Mayfield, it yeah. does seem like there's a lot of – hangover for all the quarterbacks that have moved around and things like that it really does feel like there's a lot of hangover whether it's Carson Wentz whatever it feels like that these guys that change teams nobody has really gotten on track just yet I think Wentz's hangover has been two or three years <laughs> yeah really yeah at this point it may be concussion right Eric I mean not just a hangover right yeah <laughs> right it's gone past the uh, uh the initial stage but yeah I mean I think you're right. I mean, especially, you know, yeah, I thought Sunday Russell looked as good as he's looked in a Broncos uniform. You know, what I saw, I didn't watch every snap, but from what I saw, he's using his legs more. He looked kind of reticent to run before. Um, you know, he, he sort of had a little bit more command. He was throwing with, you know, I, I thought authority in a lot of cases. The touchdown pass, the first one was a bullet, you know, it was in a tight window. It just looked like, okay, he's getting the field. And I predicted, I said, look, somebody said, you think the Broncos can steal this division? I said, my biggest worry is that it might take a little while for a first-year head coach and a quarterback who's freed from the shackles of play calling, you know, that for five years he's been wanting a little bit more autonomy over. And so figuring out that, that balance of, of what Russell gets to kind of audible to and, you know, what's Hackett's system. You know, he was underwater as a head coach the first few games too. Penalties, you know, game decisions, whatever. So there were some things holding him back. But Matt Ryan – Certainly the offensive line for the Colts is not playing up to expectations. They take up 20% of the cap and they're, you know, allowing sacks. He's part of that too. But, you know, and Ryan's ball security has been an issue. Nine fumbles to this point, mm-hmm. uh, five interceptions. That's, you know, that and red zone efficiency have just killed him. So, you know, I mean, it's, it's things sometimes that are in their control, things that are sometimes out of their control. But those two, as they meet on Thursday, I mean, it's a, big game for both teams it may not be sexy tv but you know i mean the, the loser of that game you know either the broncos at two and three or the colts at you know one two and or one three and one i guess yeah i mean that's that's a pretty tough climb even though they've they've pulled themselves out of a, a similar hole twice under frank reich his first year and then last or two seasons ago they did the same thing 
Check out his work at NFL.com, and you can follow him on his Twitter page, at Eric underscore Edholm. Covers the NFL and NFL draft and joined us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Eric, as always, my man, appreciate it, buddy. Thanks for a few minutes in Atlanta. We will chat again soon. Looking forward to it, man. Take it easy. You got it. John Chuckery will be back. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey.com app. Radio 92.9 The Game. Back with you on the John Chuckery Show. 924 live in the Kia Studios. You know what time it is. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. 404-741-0929. That is our Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us when you're on the go. Social media is at 92 on the game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, of course, follow me at JMCH316 on the Twitter machine. Hey, get at the heart of the NFL with the In the Huddle podcast. Brian Baldinger, Jason LaConfora, and Carl Dukes. Take you deep uh, around the league, give you inside scoop on the storylines that matter most. New episodes every Tuesday and Thursday. Follow In the Huddle for free on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast from. By the way, the Braves are four outs away from clinching the division. Two-to-one lead. Bottom of the eighth and two outs. We'll keep you up to date about what goes on there. We'll get to our top ten here in just a couple of minutes. Um, Day-Day, remember how we talked a lot about the Mickey Mantle card that was yeah. hit, that hit $10 million yeah. and all that kind of stuff? That was a mint-graded mantle. Mm-hmm. So, recently here, a PSA-graded number six, okay. which is excellent condition, okay? Uh-huh. Which, to be fair... The difference between a nine and a six is pretty big right. in the world of grading for cards and stuff like that. Right. But it recently sold this PSA number uh, or graded six mantle mm-hmm. recently sold for three hundred thousand dollars. Now, that's double the the one that sold in February. That's the same grade. Wow. So they it's doubled since February, since two thousand eleven. It's had a 1,702% jump. <laughs> so when I tell you, and I talked to a guy at a card shop that he runs not far from me, mantle cards are red hot right now. So I'm, all I'm saying is this. If you have any old Mickey Mantle baseball cards, okay? Right. And they're somewhat good condition. Go get it graded. Go get it graded and get it online. Wow. Because there is a premium Look, there are very few 52 tops Mickey Mantles in the world, right. but Mickey Mantle cards are very popular, and especially his early stuff, 52, 53, 55. There, right. there is, I, there's no 54, I believe. I think it's, I think it goes 52, 53, 55, 56. I think are the first four Mantle cards. If you have old Mantle cards from the 50s, go get them graded and get them sold. Mm-hmm. Because you may be sitting on a whole pile of cash. Yeah. 
you know what? I'm going to have to go hit some Goodwills that are like in yeah. rural areas because yep. those places usually have somebody turned something in, yep. not realizing yep. there's it it value there. I agree. So. I'll tell you the other thing, too, is believe it or not, sometimes you get lucky. I used to go to garage sales in the old days, yeah. and you would find some stuff yeah. that's out there. Just yep. somebody would unearth something that yep. would just be crazy. And sometimes yep. it, you, you never know what it may be, but that's another good place to look uh, as well. So. Yep. Yeah, Mickey Mantle cards are red hot in the industry right now. Um, R.I.P. to the great Loretta Lynn, who yeah, yeah. Uh, is it a, is it a stretch to call her the queen of country music? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I mean, because I think I feel like from a female perspective, she was one of the first ones, if yes. not the first, to really be a star, female country star. You know, crossover. Well, and- so let me ask you this: for today's for today's fan. Mm-hmm. Do you think more people would consider her the queen of country music or Dolly Parton the queen of country music? I would say for today's fan, they would probably say Dolly because Dolly stays in kind of the, the, the public eye. Yes, yeah, she does. You know, yes. and, uh, and look, the Whitney Houston cover, yeah. right? She's had songs that have been covered by other artists. Exactly. Right? I mean, she's a prolific she's done songwriter. She's yes. all that. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not taking away anything from a little re- Like, when I was growing up, there was very little doubt that Loretta Lynn, she was the queen of right. country music. Yep. Like, she was the coal miner's daughter. That was a yep. huge movie. John Travolta? You know, uh, no. Not, I mean, uh, Sissy Spacek, right? Yeah, yeah. Sissy Spacek. Yep. And um, um, who was it? Uh, Tommy, uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones. Right. Yeah. Yeah, he played her husband. Yep. So she was the undisputed queen of country music. But I think for a lot of modern fans in the world... I think Dolly Parton has yeah. taken that mantle. Yeah, over. definitely. I, I'm not, and again, I I agree with you. I think I think Loretta Lynn is because of the historical yeah. factor. I think that having done it, you know, and having the success and everything that she did. Yep. I just think that for a lot of modern day people, that it's more representative that 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 Dolly Parton is that yeah. kind of figure. So yeah, you just reminded me why I didn't like Tommy Lee Jones growing up. I forgot he was a jerk in that movie, wasn't he? Oh, he was. Yes, he was. <laughs> yes, he was. Yeah, he was not the nicest guy. Yes, I agree with you. Yes. All right, today is National Taco Day. Where's your favorite place to go get tacos? Can I tell you, uh-huh. like, there's no, there's no such thing as a bad day to have a taco. No, not at all. Tacos are one of the great foods of yep. all time. Yep. I don't have a favorite place. Give me, uh, Just give me a good, authentic uh, Mexican restaurant, and I'm good. That's all I need. I just need the authentic, authenticity. Now, let's ask you this. Uh-huh. Hard shell or street taco? Street taco. Yeah, street yeah, taco. I'm, I'm all with the you way. all the way. Yep, <laughs> I agree. I agree. Give, give me, give me, and I'll tell you what I'm a huge fan of now uh-huh. is chorizo. Yeah. So if I can yeah. get chorizo yeah. street yeah. tacos, yep. I'm, I'm all in. All, all in, them. baby. Uh, it's also National Vodka Day. Any preferences on vodka? Uh, no preference. I saw a post about that today too. I don't have a preference so, as long as it's smooth. I, I'm all about Grey Goose, but here's the thing about vodka. Okay, and mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't understand this. You want the best vodkas have no taste yes, to them. Yes. That's the thing. So the best vodkas you can drink won't have it. They're not supposed to have any taste. Right. Now, look, I know they make all the flavored ones and all that kind of But a true, pure, great vodka right. should have no taste to it. Exactly. If it does, it's not a great vodka. Yeah. So, uh, and then it's also National Cinnamon Bun Day, <laughs> which I, I okay, I, whatever. <laughs> I mean, 
We got oh by the way we got Rankum coming up. So speaking yeah. of hot cross buns, uh, we've got Rankum. <laughs> speaking of cinnamon buns, we got uh, Rankum coming up a little bit later on in the show, ten forty tonight. So yes, a little over an do. hour from right now. All right, happy birthday today to Jimmy Williams. Remember him, the third base coach for yes. Atlanta Braves yes. for so long. Yep. And it's also Tony Fraud Rusa's <laughs> birthday, who's a complete fraud and phony. Now, we saw that Aaron Judge. Um, set the AL record for home runs by hitting his 62nd night, yep. which now puts him alone in seventh place all time. But anyway, um, with that, because you know, I I think yeah. Tony Larusa is a complete yeah, fraud and yeah, I, a phony. Yeah. I don't like anything about Tony. And by the way, you see, he's going to step down as the yeah, manager yeah, of yeah, the White yeah, Sox. Yeah, yeah. He will not be back next year. Yeah. So now we know Don Mattingly and Tony Fraud Russa yeah. will not be back. So with that, tonight's top ten list: our top ten least favorite coaches, managers. Whatever, day day, the floor is yours. All right, I know we got to kind of run through this. So, uh, Bobby Petrino, jerk. Yeah, I, he's on my list. Yep, Lane Kiffin, jerk. Uh, oh, I love. <laughs> see, here's the thing. I love Lane Kiffin. I think Lane Kiffin is a bad. I think Lane Kiffin has done a great job at Ole Miss, and let me tell you, he is single-handedly the guy who brought Nick Saban into the modern age of offensive football. If they had not had Lane Kiffin at Alabama. It would have taken longer for for Saban to get where, when he brought him in and he changed that offense around. That's when Alabama's offense really took off. That's when the Heisman Trophy winners right. were coming along. That's when all the wide receivers. He completely changed up the thought process about their offensive schemes. Yeah, well, just you can blame his association with uh, Saban for being on this list because Saban's on the list. Oh, <laughs> oh dude, I love Lord Saban. Listen, love Lord Saban. Uh, Mike Danantoni. PJ, you know, you know what? Uh-huh. I've got Mike D'Antoni on yeah, my list as yep. well. I, I, that guy gets more jobs I know. for being below, below average. A- yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people keep every time there's an NBA job open, he's in his there. name is brought <laughs> yes. up. I mean, every job. Yeah. It could be the Lakers or yep. it could be the Sacramento Kings. Yes. And his name is brought up for every job in the NBA. Yeah. yeah. Uh, PJ Carlissimo. Oh, okay. Uh, of course, Coach K, because I'm a UNC fan. Oh, um, okay. All right. Um, Bill Belichick, uh, Rudy Tomjanovich. Tomjanovich. Really? You don't yeah. like Rudy T? Nah, I wasn't a big fan. Wow. Um, I like Rudy T. And then uh, Bobby Knight. Now, let me pr- uh, let me say this. I'm not taking anything away from these guys right, what they've as done. Right, what they've right. done for the game. They're great coaches. I just don't like them. <laughs> okay. So I get the Bobby Knight for you, but I, can I tell you this? Uh-huh. Bobby Knight is absolutely one of my favorite coaches of all time. Yeah. I'm a huge yeah. Bobby Knight guy. Okay. I am all okay. in. Because wait till you hear my list, okay? Okay, I'm ready. So we've got Tony Fraud Russo, <laughs> who I loathe. Right. I also loathe the other guy that was in the American League, Joe Torre. Joe Torre, really? I, see. Call, uh... I call him Joe Phony. <laughs> I, I can't stand Joe Torre. Oh. Um, I've got Bobby Petrino as well. He's a dirtbag. He's a yeah. low life. Um, ready for this one, Mr. Uh-huh. Carolina fan? Oh, Roy Lord. Williams. I can I think, see that. I can I, see that. I think he's a big phony, too. Yeah, I can you know, see that. When when it's time to start crying, get the water, put the tears yeah. in your eye. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm so proud of these kids. We've had to go through so much. <laughs> they just won the national title, right. and he talks about all the, all the setbacks and heartache. <laughs> oh, give me a break. Whatever. I don't like Roy Williams. Um... I don't like Jim Beheim either. Oh, okay. Uh, I, I think, yeah, Jim, I think yeah. Jim Beheim is up. It's is so up. time for him to retire. It is, and and he never will because again, you're not going to force him out. He's going to retire when he wants to. 
I think Jim. I don't like Jim Beheim. He's a cheater, by the way, too. All he does yeah. is cheat as well. Um, Bobby Valentine, I don't like him. Yeah, Remember him okay. with the fake nose yeah, and yeah. glasses in the dugout? Yep. I'm with you on Mike D'Antoni. I don't like him as well. Mike Shanahan, never liked Mike really? Shanahan, the Broncos okay. coach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then my last two, and I know that these people are popular. Uh-huh. I don't like Greg Popovich. I'm not a fan of Pops. Yeah, I've heard people say that before. Too much, too much outside nonsense and stuff like that, okay? <laughs> he thinks he's the only guy who... You know, he thinks he knows more about politics than anybody else and everything yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And then number one, and and ready for this? Okay. I have said this guy is the most overrated coach okay. in athletic competition history. Okay. Okay? John Wooden. Oh, wow. He is the most wow. overrated coach of all time. Okay. When you have Alcindor and Walton. Yeah. When you have arguably, there's no doubt Al Cinder's the greatest collegiate right. player ever. It's not yeah. even a discussion. It's not a co- yeah, it's not a question. Walton is at worst three and probably two. Right. So he may have had the two greatest collegiate players ever. Right. Ever. Yeah. You didn't have to win as many games in the tournament. It was a 32-team tournament. Yeah. All those things. And he would talk about, oh, the pyramid. Again, Al Cinder talks about the first thing that he taught me was how to tie my shoes. Man, Al Cinder went out there with the freshman team because <laughs> he couldn't play for the varsity because of, right. of the freshman restrictions. He went out there with the freshman team, and they beat the defending national champions. Yeah. Yeah. That's how good Al Cinder yeah. was. Yeah. Al Cinder lost three times in his collegiate career. Right. One time is when he got poked in the eye by Elvin Hayes mm-hmm. in the Astrodome against Houston. Yeah. Then he lost to Oregon State when they played four corners. And I'm trying to remember, there's one other game that he lost. Again, he had all the greatest players. And he was, and he had his bag man. And he cheated his way to all of them. Yeah. Hit us up with your list as well. Rankham's coming up at 1040. When we get back, we spoke to our Odyssey MLB insider, Bob Nightingale, what he had to say next. Struck in the Kia Studios. Sports right now to the game, Odyssey.com app. I've been up and down. Sports Radio, 92.9 The Game, back with you on the John Chuckery Show. Chris Marler hanging out with me here this evening as well. 404-741-0929. That is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line to be a part of the show. Odyssey app is how you catch us on the go. Social media is at 9 on The Game on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I'm at JMCH316. He's at Vern Funquist. And we got Day-Day producing the show behind the glass. So let's uh, head out to the waitfor.com hotline. We talk to this man every week. He is our Odyssey MLB insider, Bob Nightingale. 
Insider calls are brought to you by driveway.com. Looking for a car? Go to driveway.com where you can get pre-qualified, buy a car, and get it delivered. And, of course, you can follow him on his personal Twitter page. That would be at B. Nightingale. Bob, as always, man, appreciate a few minutes as we sit here twiddling our thumbs trying to get this division wrapped up and over with. Yeah, man, I'll say they pretty much wrapped up the division, obviously, when they swept swept the Mets over the weekend. But, yeah, I mean, the uh, official, you know, today or tomorrow, what have you. But, uh, yeah, kudos kudos to what Atlanta has done. I mean, it's unbelievable. And uh, I think they're – I still believe that their team would beat the World Series goes for Atlanta. How big – I mean, just from people like what you – doing what you do nationally – like, how impressive was what the Braves did with DeGrom, with Scherzer? That's twice in a row that they've beat DeGrom. They hit seven homers in that series. So they didn't dink and dunk and bleep and bloop and all that kind of stuff that the Mets had talked about earlier. It's seven homers in that series. And knowing that they had to sweep, they swept. How impressive was that, what the Braves did over the weekend? Well, it might have been the most impressive uh, series of any team in baseball this year. It had to be. Uh, but you're absolutely right. I mean, John, they had to sweep just because of that tiebreaker. So they lost that last game. They would have been even, but really one, you know, one down because of the tiebreaker. So no, the way they did it and uh, beat beat their best three starters, you know, very very impressive. Uh, so they got to have so much confidence now. I'm sure the Mets are very depressed now. The Mets, you know, have got to use up uh, Sergio Negrom in the in the wild card series and then go out to L.A. Uh, where you can only have Scherzer in the ground once. So uh, it suddenly went from, you know, being a power or one of the favorites to get to the World Series to not being almost a long shot. So, um, Bob Chris Marler here. The question I have for you, you brought up the odds and, and, and people or teams that can win the World Series. I saw today that the Dodgers have the best odds in the NL, which is expected. And then, of course, the Astros have the best uh, overall. Is that more of a factor of – who they're going up against and, and the uh, competition not being as difficult to get through maybe as the NL is this year, or, or what, what is that about? Well, I think it's just, you know, the amount of wins where the Dodgers have 110 wins. Uh, they may, you know, end up with the second most in National League history, just the way, you know, trouncing people, you know, they lost court people about 350 runs. So, you know, it makes sense for the gambling odds to do that. But I've seen a lot of the Dodgers. I, I'll take Atlanta in the postseason, definitely. You know, I mean, uh, Dodgers may be the best team in the uh, regular season, over 162 and very deep. But in the postseason, uh, I'll take Atlanta starters in a, in a heartbeat over the Dodgers. And Dodgers, you know, you're talking about having, uh, you know, Kershaw and Urias and then a huge, huge drop-off. Uh, their bullpen is just a mix-and-match uh, type thing. So uh, I don't I don't see him getting to a World Series. I really don't. Odyssey MLB and Dale joining us here on the WaitFor.com hotline. Bob, where does Kyle Wright fit into the National League Cy Young discussion? Obviously, 21-5 and on the season, a little bit above a three ERA, 174 strikeouts and 180 innings. And the 21 wins is impressive enough, but, you know, it just seems like, I don't know, I mean, when you talk about where he kind of is this season, it doesn't seem like there's as many people talking about him. Where does he fit in the Cy Young discussion? You know, he, he should finish top three, if you know, top four for sure. Uh, Alcantara is going to win it. He's going to win it going away. Just the amount of innings, the complete games, the shutouts, uh, you know, on a very, uh, you know, mediocre team at best. So he's going to win it. The question is who finishes second. I mean, you got Wright, 
you got Urias from the Dodgers. And you got Zach Gallon from the Diamondbacks. So uh, I think it might be uh, right two, Gallon three. It could be flip flops. But uh, yeah, you'll you should definitely finish the top three. Where do you? I mean, when you when you look at the Braves staff, and you have to, and and I know obviously Strider not finishing the year, you know, greatly affected this. But when you look at Freed, he's got 14 wins and and a two an, an under two and a half ERA with 170 strikeouts. Wright's got the 21 wins. Strider has the 200 strikeouts. Is it tough to kind of sort those guys out when you talk about? you know, Cy Young or who's been the best or most important. I mean, when you have that many guys putting up different kinds of numbers, is it tough sometimes to kind of rate those guys and sort them out? Oh, it is. You mean just a few years ago, you know, was a, uh, you know, Justin Bullen versus Garrett Cole. They finished one, two. Uh, that could have been flip-flop very easily. Uh, all those, you know, those years in uh, Arizona when it was uh, Johnson and Schilling, where it could have been Schilling and Johnson very easily, you know, the great days of, of Atlanta with the three Hall of Famers. So, yeah, it is tough to sort out. I mean, Free is not going to win the Cy Young Award. He may not have had the best season for Atlanta, but he probably meant more, more than anything else because those guys can kind of feed off him, and he takes a lot of pressure off. Odyssey MLB insider Bob Nightingale joining us here on the WadeFord.com hotline. Bob, I know you've talked about Austin Riley, you know, probably being a top five MVP candidate. I, I want to ask you this question, though. How how close of a case can you make that Michael Harris has been the most important player for the Braves this year, given given his role, given the fact that he's put up the numbers and hasn't played a full season, given that he's filled in in a difficult position, coming in and playing gold glove caliber center field? How close of a discussion is it that Michael Harris has been maybe – the most important player for the Braves this year? Well, you can certainly make that argument, and they took off when he got there. Uh, you know, but then, you know, the other argument for Raleigh, of course, is he was there two months before Harris, and they could have been really dead without Raleigh doing what he's doing. So Riley carried him, you know, I mean, he's been great all year, but really carried him from the, uh, from the jump there. And, uh, yeah, Swanson, too. Uh, you know, I think it'd be tough to rank, you know, one, two, three in MVP. You know, I saw with the local baseball players association, you know, had uh, Riley number one, and I'm not sure if, if Swanson is two or Harris is two, but a, uh, I think just Riley's body of work. But no, I, I mean, I would, it's certainly a great argument that Harris might have been the most valuable guy of, of the three just because they would have took off under him. So, question I have, uh, this could be the sixth time since 1900, just the sixth time in MLB history since 1900, a team has gone the entire length of the season without getting swept. If if the Braves can repeat, where do you put this team in terms of uh, some of the most impressive uh, and accomplishing teams in, in recent memory or in baseball history? Well, you certainly put it back in the uh, in the Yankee dynasty there. You know, when the Yankees won uh, you know, from 96 to 2000, lost the 2001 World Series. But you put in that class, I mean – and the last National League team goes back-to-back. You've got to go back to Red's big red machine. Uh, you know, what was, uh, what, 75, 76. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Yankees went, you know, had the three and four years. Toronto went back-to-back in 92, 93. But, uh, you know, certainly the last, you know, 50, 60 years, you can put, you know, a- Atlanta right in that mix, uh, particularly if they, you know, win a couple more in the next few years. Odyssey MLB insider Bob Nightingale joining us here in the WaitFor.com hotline. How good of a job has Terry Francona done with the Guardians this year? I mean, 
that's such a young team. I think the youngest team in baseball. And the fact that they have won their division, no matter who's in it, I mean, they still won the division. How good of a job has he done this year? A wonderful job. I was just talking to a couple of their people today on the uh, on the executive side. This might be his best job yet in the regular season. You know, obviously, uh, long shot to win the World Series. He's won a couple World Series with Boston, but magnificent job. I think he should be the manager of the year in the American League. I really do. I know there's some talk talk about Brandon Hyde, kept him in the race, but they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, you know, talk also about Scott Service in Seattle, uh, but you know they didn't win the division. So I, I, I would go Francona. Would you Would you say that it's pretty much a given? Buck Showalter's the manager of the year in the National League. I mean, even if the Braves win the division, I mean, but the Mets obviously are going to be you know a hundred win team themselves when all is said and done. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's a, uh, you know, 30 votes. I bet he gets at least 27 of those things, maybe, you know, 26 or 28 of those 30 votes. But, yeah, just because the team, the organization was disarray, he got there. And usually to win a manager of the year award, you know, you got to, you know, come back from uh, come back from something they did. Whereas guys like, you know, Brian Snicker and Dave Roberts of L.A., if you're consistently good, it's like, okay, you've already had your award. We're going to look for somebody else. You know, so it's not it's, it's more like a it's more like a comeback uh, manager of the year award than anything else. What did you think about Otani in the one year thirty million dollar deal that he got? I mean, what do we what do we kind of make of all of that? Yeah, I mean, and now I think about then giving him that contract that shows that he's going to stay next year. We'll try to sign him as a free agent, see what happens. Some as a record, you know, record raised by any player in history, certainly the most uh, of a, uh, arbitration arbitration player. And previous was, you know, Mookie Betts at 27. But, you know, for him to go from five and a half to 30, you know, $25 million raise, that's mind-boggling. I thought he'd, you know, get low 20s. But it's almost like, you know, hey, you've got a raise to $15 million and be just a pitcher hitter, and you double that because he does both. And the reason I ask you, you know, because, you know, for instance, down here, we've talked – I know you and I have talked about this before – you know, Max Freed is kind of that one last guy. I mean, obviously, Dansby's a free agent. They locked up Riley. They locked up Mark, Michael Harris, Olsen. All these guys are all locked up and ready to go. But Max Freed is, you know, still got a couple of years of, of arbitration. And when you see a number like that at $30 million, say what you will, but it does change up the scale. And I think we've talked before. Look, Max Freed, if he's not the best left-hander in baseball, he's top one, two, three as far as left-handers go. You know, you figure a guy like that is going to get a pretty good chunk of change if if he if they end up going to arbitration without any kind of other extension. Yeah, usually when you have a good year, you're talking about a five, six million dollar raise, maybe seven tops. Then just Otani is such a different thing because you you know, get both. So I don't think you can say, okay, Otani got thirty, and you know Freeze can get thirty just just as a pitcher. You know, no, just because he doesn't hit. And I'm sure the best argument too is that. With Otani, you know, he won the MVP award and is going to finish second this year. You are, you know, you get a huge bump just for that as well. You know, the Blue Jays, Bob, have had the third best record in the American League this year. And for all the talk about the Astros, which is deserved, all the talk about what the Yankees have done, how quiet of a season, how quiet of a really good season has Toronto had with that young group of guys that they've got there? Yeah, they made the change of managers right for the All-Star break and uh, bringing John Schneider done very well. Uh, I think people expected big things from them. They, you know, they maybe even win the division. 
So for a while, I think they were almost underachievers. Like, hey, they should be better than this. Uh, you know, they, they made some big moves, got Gosman as a free agent, uh, you know, those young hitters. So, but yeah, you know, quietly, they're a, a, a powerful team. You know, I don't think anybody has them going to a World Series. But a, uh, hey, what, if Seattle goes their first round, that's going to be a great series. That might be the, the best matchup just because Seattle, Seattle's dangerous with that starting rotation. You know, when you have, uh, you know, Lucas Steele as number one guy, Robbie Ray, two, Logan Gilbert, three. That's tough. Follow him on Twitter, at B Nightingale. He is our Odyssey MLB insider, and insider calls are brought to you by Driveway.com. Head to Driveway.com today to shop more than 25,000 new and used cars in Driveway's nationwide inventory. Bob Nightingale, join us on the WaitFor.com hotline. Bob, as always, man, appreciate it. And guess what, man? We're about ready to talk playoff baseball when we get back together next week. So thank you so much, as always. My pleasure. Look forward to it. Take care, John. You got it. John Chuckery. We'll be back. Sports Radio, not on the game, and the Odyssey.com app.